I saw brands succeed and I saw them fail and I saw like which mistakes they made. And I think the biggest lesson I learned was don't forget any piece of the business. Like we hired a PR agency before we even launched our brand because we didn't understand PR. Like that was something we'd never really worked with. And so, you know, they helped guide us through the first year of business where we didn't really understand anything PR related, but it was taken care of and covered for us. And that was such an important piece. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Karina Hamill, co-founder of Richmond-based Bivo, the company that has completely reinvented the cycling water bottle. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Karina. Hi. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Welcome. We've been trying to pin you down. You're a busy lady. Busy, busy, building a business. That's right. Yeah, we just got back from our big Bivo road trip that we did this summer that was trying to spread the word across the country. So I just got back a week ago after a month and a half on the road with our two little kids. Whoa. And it's nice to be back in Vermont. Cool. What, like, what sort of route did you take? Um, so my co-founder is my husband, Robbie. He drove out to Montana from the East Coast. So he stopped in Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Iowa for an event called Ragbri. And then we did Montana and Colorado for a series of different cycling events with the kids. And then I flew home and he drove back through Texas and Minneapolis before coming back yesterday. Oh, how cool. Yeah. How old are the kids for a trip like that? Um, they are two and five. Yes. Oh my God. Being the mother of a two-year-old, kudos. I'm impressed. Yeah. Thanks. It was actually, uh, it was, I was very nervous about the driving because my kids are really bad in the car. Um, but they did great. It was, and it was good to push them. I think like they now have a game where they play work. So that's cool. Like they saw (laughs) us working really hard and now they're playing that game. So that's kind of cool. Well, it's never too early to start on your workforce. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That makes me happy. That's so cool. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. So it was a little guerrilla marketing meets family vacation. Yeah, more. It was, it was definitely heavy on the work front. Like, but my in-laws came with us too, to help with the kids while we were working events, but it was full. Yeah, it was full on. 2024, you might get Sam and Jeremy and Lock to go. Yeah, yeah. it's very possible. My yeah. God, it sounds great. We, we better back up. Yeah. What is your company? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a performance stainless steel cycling bottle company. So we, it's the first metal bottle that's designed to fit in a bike cage. And then we optimize the flow of water so that you could pour and drink really easily. So it's a gravity flow patented system that uh, we started developing in 2019. Is I feel like this is one of those things where I'm like, why has no one changed this yet? Because yeah. it's gross. Those plastic bottles, the water tastes like plastic. Yeah. Yeah, it was shocking. Honestly, when we came up with the idea, we were really surprised. Like, it was it was that light bulb moment of, like, holy cow, this doesn't exist in the market yet. We better go for it. Um, I w- Before owning Bivo, I had owned a footwear design and development agency, and I ran that together with Robbie for 12 years and or 10 years. Um And so our background was in product development and we always worked with these startups that had different ideas and we always kind of, we always wanted to start our own something someday. Um, But that like, that like huge hole in the market, I didn't know if we would ever find it. Ours, you know, our hole and we found it, which was really cool. Wow. So what year did it start? Um, We 
came up with the idea in 2019. We launched in 2020. Wow, that's quick. So how did, was, you know, researching competitors a big part of that beginning? Yeah, so we went home. We were actually out skiing. Our daughter had just gone to daycare, and she was refusing the bottle. So we were talking about bottles a lot. And then I was a cross-country ski racer. I raced at UVM. Um, and so we were out skiing, talking about our daughter drinking out of plastic. And then we took a drink out of my old Nordic drink belt that had, like, black mold around the rim, and it was just gross. And so we realized every time we exercise, we, too, drink out of plastic. And so we went home and started researching immediately. It was just like, get on the computer, start looking around, and we just couldn't find anything. That's so cool. Well, and yeah. it wasn't, I mean, when did, when did those other brands that were producing, you know, higher price point, stainless, right around that time, was that no, when, when I, they, they got popular? Because they kind of like yeah, made space in the market. They say, did I make sell space. a, a $35, yes. $40 bottle. Yeah. So they were probably about 10 to 15 years ahead of us actually, but they just didn't have a bike bottle. Um, And so that's what is actually great because the market was ready for the price point compared to a plastic bottle. Um, But it just was a hole that, that hadn't been filled yet. Yeah. That's so cool. And I imagine it's the type of product that sounds easy to start you know, when you're like, oh, just we'll make it in metal. But then like when you think yeah. of like the water flow and all of that, like it's actually pretty complicated because those bottles you squeeze and that's how you get the water out. So yep. can you talk a little bit about that like engineering challenge? Yeah. So we, our background again was in footwear development. So my, a big part of what I had done for the parent company of Keen in my first career outside of college was helping find factories for brands and so uh, or for for Keen specifically and then I left and started my development agency and a huge part of that was helping brands find factories so that piece of it and then like the whole product development process that was something that even though this was a water bottle bottle and we had previously worked on footwear it was a process I was really comfortable with and so I knew how to like go through the steps and typically it takes like anywhere from 18 to 24 months to bring a product to the market. It's a long, it's a long process. Um, and then on the other side of it, I was the consumer. So I'm a cyclist myself. I was a ski racer. I, I know what performance has to look like. And so that was our first thing was like, okay, well, if you can't squeeze metal, how are you going to drink out of it? And so we immediately started looking at the engineering and trying to figure out how can we get water out as quickly as possible. And we knew that it had to be equal to or better than plastic, essentially, to drink out of. Um, So we actually hired a third-party engineer who's a Vermonter. um, And he formerly worked at NASA. So he helped us do a lot of, like, fluid dynamic testing and all sorts of, like, just, you know, trying to figure out how to get that water out. And so after about, I don't know, I think we probably took about six months to really figure out the concept behind the technology and then an additional 12 months to bring it to market from there. And it's so important to hire the person that's an expert in the thing that you're yes. not an expert in. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that this kind of funny, I joke, it's it's really hard to get water out of a bottle, but it's also hard to keep it in. So like the leaking part of it too, that's also was something that was hard. Like once we figured out how to get the water out, then we had to just make sure that we were like all the all the measurements, everything is super, has to be super tight. Um, and so that was a tricky part of it too. And you have temperature changes yes. and, you know, yeah. altitude and things like that That's that right. might play a factor. So um, sounds like you got it r- right 
and after like one or two prototypes. Is yeah. that is that accurate? Or? Um, in terms of <laughs> I, so opening the prototyping, yeah, process, yeah. So, so in terms of actually opening the molds, we opened two bottle molds and we opened one um, lid and nozzle mold. So, Wait, what does that mean? So that Sorry. basically means like the part that you like the injection of the lid. Okay, into that's like a really expensive part of making the bottle. So we only had to do one of those. We did a ton of three D printing. We had hot glue guns and we were doing rapid prototyping for a few months before we actually started working on the mold drawing, which is like the thing that shapes the bottle itself. Cool. So if you're talking to another entrepreneur that has a physical product. Do you have any advice around that prototyping phase? Because, I mean, it sounds like you, there's a lot of work that goes into it because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of money that goes into it as well. So you want to yeah. try to get those issues out earlier. Do you have any? Yeah, we, we used 3D printing to really, I mean, molds can, the molds can be upwards of $25,000, for example. So um, to open a mold and then have to reopen it, that's a really costly mistake if you if you mess that up um so utilizing technology such as 3d printing and just being scrappy with the materials that you can kind of like i said glue together or like test out in different kind of fast ways it saves time and it saves money so your prototypes were plastic um, for a while right they just were, to... yeah or like 3d printed nylon yeah um yeah okay yeah and then um the uh the molds, did you do those locally or did you use the network you'd had from Keen to know someone? Yeah, we abroad? found a factory. So we found nine different stainless steel water bottle factories in, in China outside of Shanghai. Wow. Um, I think about 90% of the world's stainless steel bottles come from outside of Shanghai. Uh, we tried to make it in Mexico. We tried to look in the U.S., but we weren't able to get any facilities. So we used the factory that we we established a relationship in China with in China uh, for the molds as well. And were there any, like, in terms of, like, 3D printing, like, before you got to that phase, like, were there any, did you guys just buy a 3D printer? Did you rent one or borrow something? Like, how did you figure There's some, um, yeah, there's different services that you can actually use online. There's also now um, v, uh, the Vermont Technical School that we've, in Randolph, we've been using them quite a bit for uh, actually laser etching, like, custom right, they logos. Have totally they, they awesome facility they, It's now, an amazing right? facility. It's so cool. Um, so we've been starting to use them now. So if you're a Vermonter and you have like the a, a new prototype you want to make, I would definitely look at them. Um, but we used an online service when we were when we were. I think it's called Cloud Three uh, D Cloud or something like that. Um, that we that we used for for three D printing at the time. And so I mean, I couldn't help but notice that you said you thought of the idea in 2019. You started mm-hmm. it in 2020. I mean, we got to ask, like, how did COVID impacted it, hurt or help you? Because you were starting kind of in that environment. So I'm sure you had some extra time on your hands, but maybe not all the resources you needed. Yeah. I mean, I think it helped us and hurt us. Um, I think it was a mix. So our plan was to, biking is an interesting one in that a cyclist has a really good relationship with their local bike shop and everything was shut down. So when we finalized our our bottle development and we're ready to place the purchase order. It was actually April, 2020. So a month after COVID hit, we put a pause on it. We actually said, this is, I mean, we, we've self-funded through launch. So it was our money that we were putting into this. And we were very nervous about spending, like I said, we had an eight, uh, yeah, she was 18 months at the time. So our daughter, so that's like, 
I don't know, a lot to put on the line when you have a young Peak kid. Pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we postponed for a little bit and then we just realized that the bike industry was going to have a little bit of a boom because it got people outside and nobody could do anything inside. So um, it actually ended up being a decent time for us to launch just because the bike industry was going kind of crazy. We did not launch in stores. We decided to just launch direct to consumer to begin with because of COVID. And um, that was that. I mean, it honestly ended up fine. We hit our we hit exactly our projections that we anticipated, but to like four thousand dollars or something crazy. Um, But but uh, we I I think um, the thing that probably hurt us the most was events are really good for us. And so nothing was happening. And, And it was harder to get our name out there as much as we thought we would be able to because there just weren't things to right, go which to. was part of that tour you described exactly right? event to event. yes yep. yep and no supply chain issues with that um shockingly we had well we did have an issue with production our first batch of production did have a problem yeah. um, that we had to delay our launch because of and that was because our factory was in China we couldn't go and oversee production that was always like my number one rule for our footwear clients was if you're going into production for the first time you have to be, be on the factory site. and you were like that's oh, a good, but le- that's but we a good lesson do it. to know right like yeah so unfortunately we received our bottles and they were there was a problem with the exterior coating um, so that had to we actually postponed for by 4 months to start shipping bottles and that was really devastating. Um, but otherwise I say, I, I actually, my initial reaction was no, we didn't have supply chain issues. which is kind of funny. I forgot about that. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> isn't, isn't like history. Like, yeah. Awesome. Like, <laughs> totally. Oh, it was great. We got yeah. our number first time. You know, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. But no, we were small enough. I think we were able to squeak through where we didn't have delays to, our manufacturing. So that I think surprised us because we were still working in footwear at the time and their footwear was a mess. Like everything was a problem in footwear, but in bottles, for some reason, our factory was just able, I think there was like less components, more, more, components more automation. Yeah. yeah. Everything came from the same location. Whereas in footwear materials were coming from Taiwan or Thailand, wherever into China or, or Tough whatever. Tough to orchestrate it, yes, that exactly. country to country. Yeah. City to city. Yeah. One thing that did happen was our bottles got stuck in, um, uh, like they got taken off the boat. Just like in Long Beach, that, I, all those boats that were hung up. Yeah, it took like an extra month or something at one point to wow. get the bottles in, but nothing terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you have patents or intellectual yes. property? Yeah. How important yeah. is that to the business and how was that process? Yeah. So we we got a patent on our, a utility patent on our gravity flow nozzle. Um, we didn't do a design patent because... I think that matters less. We really focused on the utility, um, the engineering of it. Um, so that took, actually, we just got patented officially about uh, less than a month ago. It was, so we've been patent pending that whole time. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So it's a long process. It's an expensive process. Um, and it's it's good for, I think, honestly, it's, it's helpful if we ever want to sell Bivo um, because it increases the value. Um, but it, as a small brand, it is hard to defend those patents. So yeah. I think it's it's definitely um, a debate people have as to whether or not it's worth it to go after it because it, it, the big people can come in and just walk all over you essentially because they. Can are you starting you. to see that happen? Yeah, I think. Yeah, we are starting to see some people. Let's go come. get them. <laughs> no, no one picks on Vermont. 
yeah, that is a hard decision. We we've worked with a number of companies that have sort of like, ah, oh, do we do we do it? Do we not do it? Like, yeah. Do you have any advice on like wh- why you decided to move ahead with it? Yeah, I we wanted to try to protect ourselves as best we can. It definitely scares people off from yeah. from fr- infringing. Um, also, at, if like if we are infringed upon, there's the opportunity to go after claims. Um, it is like if you do want to sell your your company, it is something that adds value. So for us, that was uh, that was important. Um, so I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's whether or not you have the funds essentially to do it. Yeah. I think, and I and it's important to find a lawyer that advises you along the way because you could also, um, you could go after every country and spend so much money and, and only to find out that it w- wasn't worth it. And you can select countries strategically that where you, there is an actual market. So just making sure you pick the right lawyer to help you advise you through that process is important. We actually ended up with a, a lawyer who um, is a cyclist himself and he has like a vested interest in who we are and, and he believes in our brand. And so um, it's just nice to get the right people on your side. One of those things that's just worth investing in right from yes. the start. I mean, I get a lot of entrepreneurs that are asking like, hey, you know, I, I need some legal advice around this, but, you know, I'm not sure whether I should hire a lawyer or try to figure it out. I'm like, please don't try to figure it out because yeah. we've also talked to the companies that did try to figure it out themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it takes, it's, it's more way more expensive, expensive yeah. and timely to undo something if, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, running my footwear agency for 10 years, I worked with probably 30 different like startups or medium to medium sized companies. And it was so helpful because I saw brands succeed and I saw them fail and I saw like which mistakes they made. And I think the biggest lesson I learned was don't forget any piece of the business. Like I mean, that's mm-hmm. a simple thing to say, but it's easy to like push something aside that you don't maybe understand or not hire the right person if you don't understand it. And so I think that's that's always something that I come back to. Like let's not like we hired a PR agency before we even launched our brand because we wanted to make we didn't understand PR. Like that was something we'd never really worked with. And so we hired Press Forward out of Middlebury, Vermont. And um, they, you know, they helped guide us through the first year of business where we didn't really understand anything PR related, but it was taken care of and covered for us. And um, I'm not sure if I had if I hadn't had the experience of my footwear development agency that I would have recognized that that was such an important piece to 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 make sure we had. Yeah, and I think a lot of brands kind of do it retroactively and it's yep. not that it's too late, but it's just a lot harder, you yeah. know, whereas if you hire them before you can establish the brand yep. and and have a proactive plan and that Absolutely. makes it a lot easier. Um so obviously you have a lot of experience from your previous company that has helped clearly and such an interesting background. I would never have thought of that kind of transition, but it makes complete sense after yeah. you've explained it. Um, did you overlap with the companies? Did you, is the other one still alive or how did you kind of transition that? Cause I know folks have a really hard time when they're starting a new company doing figure both. that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the plan was to run both until we became cash positive at Bivo. Um, but COVID really threw a wrench in that system. We also decided to have a second kid. So that also threw a wrench in the system. Um, so we ran nine, um, the forward development agency through the end of 2021 and COVID really did hurt the, um, the supply chain 
And so it was like constant. We still couldn't go over to our factories. It was constant fires trying to be put out. Then um, right when Omicron hit, uh, our son was supposed to start with his nanny and I was still on maternity leave and my nanny got COVID. And so it just like extended everything. It was just like the spiral of like, okay, we can't do it all. So we shut that down. It took me about six months to kind of transition. I got all of our employees. Our employees were still in Portland, Oregon. That's where we were living before Vermont. Um, so we got all of our employees placed with our clients and we tried to like Ease the ease the transition for the clients too, because we really liked all of them, and we wanted to make sure they they succeeded. Because it was a mess of a situation of with COVID, and so um, yeah, we shut that down after uh, it, it took me about six months to make that transition, and then I became full time on Bivo in August, I guess, twenty twenty two. You're listening to Start Here, a podcast from Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. VSET is a public benefit corporation serving Vermont businesses from start to scale. We provide no-cost strategic business advising for any business owner, regardless of stage or industry, as well as venture capital for early stage tech or tech-enabled businesses. You can find us online at vset.co. That's V C. E-T-dot-C-O. If you like what you're hearing, please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast today. Now, back to the show. Can we talk about pricing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really tough to figure out what to charge. Yeah. You know, you can sort of know what, what it costs, but how did you test it, know it? Yeah. What's your philosophy on pricing? Yeah, so we had a lot of advisors um, in in. I guess from my footwear days too. Um, and I think the top piece of advice from salespeople was make sure you price your products so that you can make good margin at both wholesale and direct to consumer. Cause we did, like I said in the beginning, we wanted to make sure we were in retail shops. We did want to try to do as much direct to consumer as possible because the margins are better. Um, but just making, yeah, making sure you have that margin, um, the appropriate margin to, to be profitable. Um, so usually the rule of thumb is anywhere like four to five times the price, like any product you look at, that's basically what it is. The four to five times the price of the the cost of goods. Yeah. And, and what's your retail price for um, your lineup? You were anywhere from 34 to 49. We have four different models. I, I can't believe I don't have one. Like, I spent like <laughs> ungodly amount of money on my bikes, and yeah. then I have a, a shitty little free black bottle now that has mold in it. And that's why I don't see the yeah. mold because I have a black bottle. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. You gotta get a bivo. Yeah. Definitely. The color. Hey. I feel like the color. I gotta figure that one out. That's kind of a day of. Color, I gotta get wait till the kids go back to college because my boys will take that stuff, and then then yeah. I can't get it back. That's a common problem we have been told about is the kids steal the bottles. It's cool. Do you sell yeah. a family pack or something? Like could you solve it for Christmas? <laughs> we yeah. we do do um what do we we do like holiday pa- gift packs, yeah. Yeah, because we're not looking for any more like hostility and friction in the house. Like we <laughs> it needs to be more tranquilo, right? Yes. So okay. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how um COVID impacted your kind of strategy in terms of D to C um, versus being in stores. Can you talk about how that has kind of shifted and what, what the breakdown looks like now and um, sort of where you're headed? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, when we launched direct-to-consumer, 
Um, it took us about a year until we started really getting into retail shops. And it was partially just because we actually were selling enough bottles direct to consumer and stores were still kind of um, getting back and open. Um, and our resources are limited in terms of time. Um, and so it took us about a year to start getting into, into retailers. Um, now we hired a, an agency here in Burlington, um, Method Outdoor. So they're in charge of our sales um, national sales. Uh, and so they have some, we have some reps across the country as well as they have some internal people helping sell more locally. Um, so we're about, we're about 30%. What we do is we do some customization. So mm-hmm. custom bottles for events or for brands. So we've done some collaborations with Bellocchio Apparel, which is a, a company out of New Hampshire, um, Noon and Goo, so different hydration and nutrition companies. So that makes up about 30%. Uh, 50% is uh, direct-to-consumer, and the remaining is is. 20. That's a great yeah. balance. Right? Yeah, it is changing. It's shifting more to wholesale because we are having good sell-through at wholesale, which is great. Um, and so I, I foresee this, but the bike industry this year is hurting. Um it's down just like after the boom, it's, it's, right. it's back down. Um, so the custom is actually getting smaller and wholesale is growing and direct-to-consumer is staying about the same as it has been. So and I love watching that change for companies as yeah. they grow. It's so interesting to me. Um, so one of the things you mentioned is how great events have been. Obviously, you did the, the road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about your customers and like, how has that, how has like being around them influenced the company? Any surprises of like who you thought they would be, but who they actually are? Just yeah. love to hear that kind of anecdote. Yeah. So I think our, when we, when we came up with the idea, I think our number one concern was the weight of the bottle because we were in mm-hmm. Portland. We were around a lot of road cyclists. A lot of my friends are road cyclists and they are definitely more sensitive to the weight of, of, on the bike. Um, and That's so, such a nice way to say it. They're more sensitive, like versus neurotic. <laughs> yes, I, I should say it that way. Um, <laughs> that PR company is really working. Yeah, yeah. like wow, well, they really smoothed out the edges on that. Yeah, right. right. Don't yeah. dish your customers. <laughs> <laughs> but then the gravel scene has been so huge, especially in Vermont. Um, and they don't care as much about weight. So I think that was a surprise. Like that, that didn't. Um, that, that didn't matter as much as we anticipated. Another thing that was, it, we, we started with a non-insulated bottle because of weight. We were concerned about that. Also, we didn't think people would care so much about drinking cold water while riding because they've never really had it. So we launched an insulated bottle a year ago, and that now makes up, the, in the last three months, it's about 70% of our sales, which wow. is kind of crazy. Wow. It's just like really taken over. And what is interesting about that is we are hitting a lot of people in southern states. Colorado was really hot. I mean, the heat wave this summer was crazy. So people alive. wanted yeah. cold water. And when they find out that they actually can have it, they're just loving it. Did so, you have to sacrifice volume? Yes. Okay, yeah. keep it in the cage, the yeah. standard bike cage? Okay. Yeah, so our biggest insulated bottle is 21 ounces, while our single wall, the biggest is 25 ounces. And those are about the same height. So it does take up space. It takes up a little extra. It does weigh a little bit more, but the benefits seem to outweigh all those negatives for people. Um, So that was surprising. The other interesting thing 
it was uh, getting out and like getting out of the state of Vermont was really good because it's a whole different consumer. There's like a mass market consumer that we really hadn't talked to before. So big event that Robbie, my husband went to was Ragbri, which is a ride across Iowa. It's a six day ride. It's insane. It's right? a party on a bike. Every street I go, like sets up and yes, welcomes them. Yeah. In there's the town like and slip and slides on the side of the road. Random people have like spaghetti dinners at their house to just pe- welcome Aww. people in. It's just a, it's like a giant and every night there's a concert and it's not like a, it's not like a small concert. It's like the Spin Doctors. I don't know if you remember the Spin Doctors. I didn't I remember who they were, but One yeah, of those Lazy Bones. Yeah, it was. <laughs> can't be wrong. What was the song? We better edit know. that out. I'm way totally too spaced. young, yeah. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but Hair so, flip. So, so yeah. So it was that was an interesting one because it wasn't a competitive event. It was just for fun, and it was thirty thousand people that do this ride. And so, in they across Iowa, across like it Iowa. takes like ten yeah. days or something. Well, it's nice. I think it's a six day event. Six day, okay. Six day event. Nice and yep. flat. It would take me ten days. Sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so things like that, where you get out and you see different people that you're not, or different types of riders that we're not necessarily exposed to here. Um, that's been great because we we get to have different conversations and we learn a lot from our customers and so it, that was a really fun change. That's really because my friends that have done that event, I, they get on a bike once a year and that's to go there. Yes. So they're not. Yeah, they're not. The, what we would see exactly uh, on you know some of these back roads around here. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. That's yep. cool. Um, so you had mentioned self. Fun, self-funding the business, at least through launch. Yep. Um, can you just talk about your capital path in general and yeah. and how that's shaped the company? Yeah. So we have only done a friends and family round. Um, we and that has and by friends and family, it's like that's a pretty loose description because we do have like associates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like connections through a lot of connections through our previous careers. Um, and whether it's like an old colleague or a friend of our old colleagues. Um, so we, we are about nine months away from being cash positive. Um, so we're hoping to squeeze through or we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's, I mean, it changes, it does change a lot. I think as a startup, you have to be quite flexible. We've raised more than we, I think, wanted, like anticipated needing. Um, right now we're, we're growing quickly and we need to buy more bottles than we anticipated. So we're probably going to need a little extra help, whether it's through a line of credit. Um, but yeah, we're, we are trying to get through, we saw a lot of brands raise money, um, too much money, I think, and then they just spend it. And so this has allowed us to be, we call it scrappy, but smart. So like we have to be super scrappy. We like, we wrapped our own car for the road trip, right? So it has Bivo all over it, but it was our personal car. We didn't buy a, a big van and like do something fancy. Like we have to be really smart about how we spend our money. Um, and so while that like in many ways makes it really hard, it also is good because we can be quite strategic and I think we make good decisions. So um, on the reverse side of that, we saw so many companies raise enough money that they would just like, basically be throwing fuel on a fire. And I think that that's not a sustainable growth path. And so, um, and they also, I saw a lot of product decisions being made around the investors that came in instead of what was smart for the brand. And so those are the things that we've been really working hard at, like trying to hold it tight enough without being stupid and like doing, yeah, what's best for a sustainable growth of our business. That's awesome. What, uh, was there anything you liked about the fundraising process? Like asking people for money <laughs> is horrible. a different sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I 
like to learn. Like I love being, uh, that's one of the things like I knew product development so well. I didn't know much of the other element, like running a consulting business is very different than running a brand. And so I've had to learn so much about the entire business. And so I did lead that piece of it. I did. I led the fundraising element of the business and, um, yeah, I hate asking people for money. It is not fun. But at the same time, it's cool to like figure out the structure and understand how it all works and, and look into the future and see what we might need and really have your hands on the pulse of what the business needs. So um, while there's yeah painful pieces of it, um, everybody, we, we ended up with the best people. So I feel really lucky and I feel very supported. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we learned through it is like do hold true to what you are like trying to to execute because I think it's it would have been really easy. We've been I mean a lot of people have tried to persuade us to just go big and raise a ton of money right. and we've held we've held strong away from that and we're really happy we did and we're really um, very happy with the people we we ended up with as investors. Would would there have uh, we get. You know, we 340 people last year that came to us for different advice. Not all of them are looking for money or, mm-hmm. or seeking it. But was there was there some network group training module, like anything that you can think looking back now that would have better prepared you for that funding element? Because you didn't come from that, like you said, you came from yeah. sort of the uh, the design the product side of things yeah I just always looking to offer something new or, or use yeah, one of our partners question I mean I guess yeah as some sort of like even when I when we started when we came up with the idea we were in Portland even trying to get a lawyer who knew how to start we were an LLC so getting a lawyer to structure how to do what we ended up with is a convertible note um, for some reason, that was a lot easier to find people who knew how to do that in Vermont than it was in Oregon, which actually really surprised me. Um, but just just maybe a network of people who um, can point you in the direction of like even how to set up the documents. That was actually probably the hardest thing is finding the right person to set up the documents for us. Wow. Thank you. That's why it's important to talk to other founders. Right? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the BIVO pledge? Oh, um, yeah. Switch, it's, uh, <laughs> a nice gear switch <laughs> yeah, for you totally. there. Got to so keep you off balance. We, oh, it's not working, well, Sam. You, you said you hate fundraising, so I'm trying to get you away from that topic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so we've offered that to retailers as well as brands and individuals. If you pledge to never buy a plastic bottle, bike bottle again, we donate 2% of our sales to our Bivo fund, which is um, we've donated to Local Motion. We've donated to Richmond Mountain Trails. Um, a variety of different non uh, nonprofits that support cycling or the environment in some way. Um, so it's basically doubling the percentage of um, our profit that goes to those um, nonprofits. I love that. I am constantly talking to founders that want to give back somehow, even before mm-hmm. they've started their company. I think this is such a Vermont thing, and a lot of them try to like do something complicated with their business model but I'm like you can just kind of like set up a separate fund or like you can like donate in certain ways and like you can still have a for-profit business and do good and I think that's such a great example of how you can incorporate that into business yeah and we built that into the business right from the beginning so it's always on our plan and we knew that like again back to the pricing question like those are things that we made sure to consider and like yeah so definitely if you build it in right away it's possible such good advice yeah 
So um, you maintain a blog, right? So yes. It's active and up to date. Like yes. how on earth do you do that? Because yeah. most blogs sort of Hopefully guilty as charged. Neil, Neil yeah. Banton was our um, advisor. for. We were part of uh, Launch VT, and mm-hmm. he was our advisor, and he's awesome. He still helps us today. He was like – we just got perfectly paired with with someone uh, with him, so he has been the driving force behind the blog. Um, and he and he was a CEO of Mailchimp, um, and they did a lot of blog writing. And it's like very much like push versus pull. Um, so like pull your brand, pull your consumers into your brand, tell stories. Um, so really, what we're focused on is uh, like. We aren't trying to sell. We're trying to tell stories around cycling and, and who we are as a brand. Um, it is a lot of work. Like every every Wednesday, I'm like up frantically after the kids go to bed. I'm like, okay, Clavio said the link tree is ready. All like everything's just like it is like, uh, yeah, it's a time consuming. It's also really hard to come up with ideas all the time to talk about. Right. Um, but it does. It's it. I think that consistency and I'm I'm trying to create a relationship with our consumer essentially. So um, that's that's what that what the blog is about. And it's all connected to our weekly newsletter as well. Super impressive. I think it's that's like one of the first things to slip, right? I think when yes. companies get really busy, but mm-hmm. I think it's important. Like it I, there's nothing I hate more than when I go on a website and the blogs from like nine months ago, totally. I'm like, yeah. come on. Like, mm-hmm. and I get it, but I just, I do think it's really powerful. And, you know, yeah. we're trying to do more of that at Visa, just storytelling and, you yeah. know, being real people because that's, that's what people want to hear. We're sending yes. out a newsletter more than once every 12 months. Yes. <laughs> so Yes. Yeah. Hard to, hard to prioritize, but it is. We noticed. Good. So that's great. Kudos. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you do get a lot of, I think uh, there's always the about page on your website. You can only say so much, but I think if you can read through some of the blogs and you can see who we are as people and our values and um, I hope, yeah, I hope that people do appreciate that. It's awesome. Um, are you sticking with bottles? I, is that is that your sweet spot? And for now, yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely see like we are. We call ourselves a performance product company because cool. we wanted to let that stay open. Um, we still have so many people to reach from a bottle standpoint. So I think that is another piece of advice that we've gotten um, a lot from different advisors. Is like don't just try to keep creating product, focus on the product you have and sell it like that. Cause that, well, again, we have limited resources. We don't have a ton of time. Our time is probably our biggest limit. And so if we focus on creating new product instead of selling what we already have, um, I think it's just as a, it's a distraction. And so we're in the mindset that like, yeah, we can keep coming out with new products, but nothing like crazy at the moment and just stay focused on our bottles. I love that. I think yeah. it's so true. And like, what better than that road trip to like remind you're like, yes. oh my God, so many people don't know about us yet yep. and want this. And yep. yeah, especially when you're trying to stay lean and you're, you know, working towards profitability. I think that's super smart. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I spaced out. I'm trying to think what color I want. <laughs> Karina has New a, colors I'm launching. I'm going through my September. bike. I'm like, my Santa Cruz has this colors. The other bikes have this. My e-bike is sort of bright blue. So, oh. um, Karina has a lovely bright bright blue. What's the name of this blue? Uh, good question. Uh, what was that? I think it was bright blue. Bright, oh, um, there, yeah. you, there you go. Don't overthink it. Was it was a limited edition, and we have no more. We sold out. So oh, doesn't matter. Yeah, Sam, we don't that, like that Sam, one. That anyway. was a little yeah. shameless. Sorry, okay. yeah, now I, I get where it. she's coming from. Hey, um, we're uh, 
at the end, Sam. No. Yeah. You take the last question. Yeah, I well before we get to that, just real quick, um, you mentioned a couple. You mentioned um, Vermont Technical College. You mm-hmm. mentioned you did Launch VT. Yep. Any other like local resources that have been really helpful for y'all? Yeah, Voba Kelly, all at Voba. Kelly, yes, we yeah. love Kelly. Yep. Um, and then honestly, even just in the beginning, like Hula was great because there's so many brands in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I we did uh, Peak Pitch. Yep. Um, awesome. yeah, which yeah. also was just like great networking. You know, I think so one, fun. Yeah, it's super fun. And I think the thing about Vermont that's so special is that um, people really rally behind you. So as soon as you start and your name gets out there a little bit, people are very willing to help. So I think just the general network of Vermont. Totally. Cool. I think Jenna from Hands Down introduced us at first. Yes. She was yes. like, you have to meet Karina. Yeah. And I've been meeting to because i my husband works at the YCC and I've yep. driven by and seen your sign. I was like, oh, I love Vermont because somehow someone makes that connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, Dave, take it away. Okay. Magic wand time. If you could change one thing in Vermont, <laughs> what, would what would you do? 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 Well, I missed the rainy summer. Uh, we we picked out we picked the good summer to be gone. Apparently, so uh, I think uh, I, I think the hardest thing to be, if you're speaking from a business standpoint, it is far from things. Yeah, like it it was really good to be in Colorado for the summer, for example, because there were so many events and so many people. So I think that's probably the hardest thing about building a business in Vermont is just like the proximity to everything. Totally. All right. We'll work on getting Vermont closer to stuff for you. <laughs> but that's also a really big benefit. So, yeah, right? You know, it's, it's just... Didn't someone want a highway built once or something? We had somebody, one of our 80 or so podcasts. Yeah, so. we've had, had some good answers. I love your answer. Just, I mean, we don't need 5 million people here, no. right? Okay, cool. No, no just like, adjacent. Yeah. If yeah. they could all move to New Hampshire, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. They're all in Stowe, actually. It's sort of outrageous. Thank you so much for sharing um, this portion of your journey with us today. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Let's get on our bikes and go drink Bibbo. Bye.